0: Welcome back, nature lovers, to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We have a super exciting week uh, this week for you, and with that, let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and fascination you did hear me right folks i did say birdie bunch podcast unfortunately the spooky bunch flew back on their brooms and will not be back again until next year but have no fear the birdie bunch crew has plenty of new and exciting content coming back your way but let's get reacquainted with the birdie bunch i'm Brittany, and today i am joined by my two friends and co-hosts
1: i'm matt and i'm cj
0: how are we doing this week, folks?
1: I have had the longest week. I am just exhausted still. October may finally be over, but I feel like I just need a a, a year's worth of rest. I'm ready to hibernate from the winter already. How is everybody's Halloween? Mine was
2: pretty calm, but pretty spooky. Just sat home listened to my, my favorite Halloween playlist. Lit a candle. Read some books. It was really lovely. How was yours, CJ? How's yours, Brittany? How are both of yours? I tried to extrapolate the question to both people, and I don't know what happened. I didn't do anything for Halloween.
1: <laughs> I never do. <laughs> this is fair.
0: Um, me and Adam actually just got to, we got really excited to be able to pass out candy. I love trick-or-treaters. So um, we we did that, and we watched uh, some of my... OG original Disney Channel classic Halloween Town, and that was that was our Halloween.
1: That sounds absolutely lovely.
0: Yeah, it was a great time. All right, well, I think we've we've all kind of covered how our week's been going, Um, and so we're gonna head on over to our next segment, the Creature Feature. so if you've never heard of the creature being featured today we definitely don't blame you even though our creature feature for this week is a part of one of the most varied and interesting mammal families in the world this week we're talking about the madagascar lesser hedgehog tenrec they are a part of one of four mammal groups to have taken a footing on the island of you guessed it by its name, Sicily. I'm joking, of course. They are found on the island of Madagascar. Even though that part of its name is true, the other part is an outright lie. While they may look incredibly similar to hedgehogs, the spiky Madagascar mammals are completely unrelated to any species of hedgehog. From a single ancestor who colonized the island of Madagascar, tenrecs have evolved into incredibly diverse species which resembles moles, shrews, hedgehogs, and even otters. Contrary to appearances, tenrec's closest relatives are actually the golden moles and elephant shrews. Hedgehogs, on the other hand, are related to shrews, no relation to elephant shrews, and moon rats. The Madagascar Lesser Hedgehog tenrec even shares similar environments to its lookalike sib from another continental crib, the African Hedgehog. They are both desert dwellers, using their spikes for protection and long noses and tongues to find insects. The Madagascar Lesser Hedgehog tenrec is a super interesting creature and a beautiful example of today's topic, convergent evolution. Before we get more into it, let's jump into some current events.
2: So, my current event is from Manga Bay, my favorite source, and it's a little bit of a different format, but it was something that I thought might be really interesting to a lot of our listeners and might give people something to view if you're wanting some not only audio content. So, this article published by Manga Bay uh, a little while ago on October 5th, but a really good thing to come back to is titled Manga Bay's What to Watch List for October 21. And essentially what they did was they went around covering news from a bunch of different places from India and Brazil and Mongolia the United States talking about oceans about agroforestry all these cool cool topics and they've combined all the things that they went out and interviewed people for and basically made YouTube videos surrounding all of them the really really great YouTube videos and you can add them all to your watch list. If you want, you can subscribe to Bay's YouTube channel, or you can also just go check them out on YouTube. And I'll break down a couple of the cool ones that I think are really interesting, but at the same time, I don't wanna give, you know, the full entire thing. This is for you to go peruse and see if these are things that you would like to watch. So the first one discusses palm oil in Mizoram, India. Basically the issue kind of, we've discussed palm oil before, and essentially what's happening is the state and government are encouraging the expansion of palm oil cultivation in Mizoram, india however there's a lot of threats that palm oil brings to ecosystems you know um considering it's a very large monocropping venture there are issues with biodiversity come around there are issues discussing groundwater levels and soil fertility you know when you have these monocropped areas they suck up nutrients like nobody's business and in such a biodiversity rich state this is something that they are hoping to keep an eye on there's also discussions of the mongolian steppe region um creeping towards a point that might be a point of no return they have videos that discuss the problem with fishing debris fishing debris comprises a massive massive, almost 10% of all plastic that hangs out in the ocean. So if you're really big on the uh, not using plastic straws, which you should be right, you know, metal straws are a great way to decrease our plastic footprint. But considering that this is 10% of all that, that fishing debris is, you know, fishing gear is made to be deadly to marine life to begin with, right? It's made to catch fish and wrap things up so that being lost at sea is definitely a bit of an issue and then it discusses agroforestry essentially agroforestry is the concept of planting trees and cultivating crops in the same exact region and what this does is it will fixate nutrients to the ground a lot easier it also provides much more rich habitat to species that come through an agroforested you know Cornfield, for example, would provide habitat for neotropical migrants, whereas the cornfield itself provides absolutely nothing of substance whatsoever. It also retains water better. And since it's fixating nutrients in a much better, much more eco-friendly manner, you're not having to use nearly as many fertilizers. And so there's really, really a couple really awesome videos. I was really impressed. I've watched about half of them already and they provide great breakdowns and I wanted to give everyone who wants to watch these a chance to watch them on their own. Um, my favorite one is from the Candid Animal Cam titled, Why Are Hippos Recorded at Night? Which is a really, really good one. I was really intrigued by that. But if this is something that you're looking forward to, if you're looking for some new YouTube content and want to kind of acquaint yourself with a lot of these broad scale topics that we discuss and Manga Bay discusses, Um, but want to get a little bit more of a visual definitely go check out the link in our description um, in our the link in our website on the blog post because I will be linking that article and from there the YouTube videos are linked in already great great videos definitely give them a watch it's cool to have them all in such a cool place
0: that's awesome thank you for sharing and I'm I'm excited to go check those out and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be excited to go kind of use that as a resource. So thank you so much. So I am so excited for today's current event. Mine comes from um People Magazine. Um, but I actually originally found this particular story circling on a lot of social media pages that I'm on. Um, specific ones are for zookeepers and things like that. And I am so stoked. So The title reads, Bird Bachelorette, meet the rare female crane who chose a man named Crow as her mate for life. So at the Smithsonian National Zoo, there is a zookeeper by the name of Chris Crow, who um, is quote unquote husband to a... Um, white naped crane, and her name is Walnut. And so, Walnut has a very important role for her species. Um, she is one of the most genetically diverse cranes. Um, when she was first brought to the Smithsonian National Zoo, and while she was really, while she's very important genetically, she had a little bit of an attitude problem. So, she was brought there to be, um, uh, to be a part of their SSP, to be able to ha- be a part of a breeding program, and she originally was very unsuccessful because she was killing her mates. You know, little sassy, little issue, but she ends up falling head over heels for one of her keepers, Chris Crow, and so it's wild because um, since. She had started ex- exhibiting um, a mating dance towards Chris, um, which gave him actually the idea to to do a mating dance back and try to gain her trust to the point where they could um, artificially inseminate her without having to do a knockdown. So, like, literally by choice, she's being inseminated with another crane's st- Specimen uh, to be able to procreate and super low stress and be just because she views Chris as her partner. That's her mate. And it's really cool because um, they have actually successfully gotten her to lay eight eggs. And uh what they actually do with the chicks themselves is uh give them to other crane pairs to be able to raise. Um, because they're afraid that she's going to kill her chicks because she doesn't want them going near Chris. And um, Chris has said in an article by People, he kind of got to describe what happened during that initial um, courtship ritual with her. And so he said when she started warming up to me, she would do some of the crane courtship rituals, which involve running around with their wings flapping, bobbing her head, jumping up and down and flapping her wings, picking up crumbs or grass or flowers and tossing them into the air and catching them. He says when I recognized what she was doing I did my best to imitate it. If I saw her bobbing her head, I'd start bobbing my head. If I if she was flapping her wings at me, I'd flap my my arms if they were wings. I'm sure I wasn't doing it right, but for her she, but she compromised and put up with it and seemed to help us bond. And so um he kind of uh goes on to talk about she was hand raised by people at another zoo in the early 80s, and cranes are one of them, one of the bird species that will imprint and bond with whatever species is raising them. He tells, he says he tells people. So she did all of the crane behaviors, acted like a crane, called like a crane, did all of the displays and vocalizations of a crane, but she didn't really recognize herself as a crane. She, I think she stuck, she was stuck in between uh she relates more to people. And I just this this whole story I just personally love just that keeper went above and beyond the call of duty um, because it also says that he actually would take turns with her and sitting on the eggs like they would naturally cranes would naturally do um he would help her build the nests um grab by grabbing twigs and things like that and while he wouldn't sit on any eggs what he actually did was he would just stand over them and that seemed to like satisfy her and so this whole story makes me happy just knowing from a keeper you do, will do whatever you can to make your animal the happiness the happiness that they can be the most well taken care of that they could possibly be and all I have to say to Chris Crow is not all heroes, wear capes. This was fantastic and amazing and a great representation on how much zookeepers care about their animals and their animal welfare.
1: I could really hear your passion that, Brittany. You and I have been talking about this current event, like, off air, obviously, for a couple of days now. So I really appreciate you bringing us one of the Birdie Bunch. Um... That kind of reminds me of my current event last week with the cassowaries, or I guess Australian CJ's current event last week with the cassowaries, um, about, you know, how birds can imprint on humans and that can really impact their upbringing. So super fascinating. My current event this week um, comes from pretty much just like a local news source. Um, It's WLWT5. It's an offshoot of NBC, uh, a local news source in Kentucky. And it's titled Bat Friendly Bridge in Kentucky, designed to protect endangered species. So there is a bridge in Frankfort, Kentucky that is designed specifically for an animal habitat and is the first of its kind in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. In the fall 2018, the Bridging Kentucky team came out to assess a box beam bridge for potential impact of a threatened endangered species. The team found heavy staining underneath the bridge, which was a sign that bats were using the bridge. According to the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet, in addition to caves, bats also roost under bridges because bridges can provide protection from wind and rain. The gray bat is an endangered species. Officials say bats in the United States are threatened due to habitat loss. State wildlife officials are working to preserve bats' habitats and feel that the bridge is a unique opportunity to help protect the bats. Project leaders worked with engineers, wildlife locals, and ecologists to design a bat-friendly bridge. Local ecologists say that typically, with a parallel box bridges, there are tension rods that pull the boxes together. Over time, weather causes the box to expand, and the bats found cracks to where they can be safe from the rain, similar to a cave. But officials say they wanted to ensure their new bat friendly bridge would have similar gaps, but with man made ones, rather than made from deterioration over time. So they examined a similar structure in Texas for inspiration. So in March of 2021, construction was completed on the bat-friendly bridge in Kentucky, and at this time, officials with the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet and ecologists waited to see if bats would return. About 30 minutes before sunset on the day that it was open, ecologists sat on different sides of the bridge to see if any bats would emerge, and they did. Team counted around 400 bats at the bridge during the June 2021 survey. They also saw bat pups, which is a great sign of a maternity colony. Two months later, ecologists did another survey at the bridge, which was uh, this past September, and there were over a 1,000 bats using the bridge, according to the KTC. The bridge is the first of its kind in Kentucky, and officials say it could pave the way for similar structures across the state as years go by, which is a super exciting news for bat conservation.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Talking about bats, it's a little little hint as to maybe maybe something else going on in this topic today. We'll see. We'll find out. But with all of those amazing and fun um, current events, we're going to head on over to the main topic of today, which is, I know, one of CJ's favorites things to talk about it's their favorite topic and so we're going to get into get into into it so you may be wondering what is cj's favorite topic well today folks we are going to be talking about convergent evolution but what is convergent evolution? Why is it CJ's favorite topic? Um, convergent evolution is the process by which two species develop similar features despite not sharing a recent common ancestor. By sharing very similar ecological niches, these animals benefit from having very similar characteristics. We might ask, our, we might ask ourselves, uh, well, what are the requirements to be considered an example of convergent evolution? There is actually only one requirement, and that is that two species lack a common ancestor and undergo independent evolution that results in a similar body form or similar useful traits. So the um, first example we're gonna have today of convergent evolution is is one where uh, the Birdie Bunch podcast has uh, mentioned these two specific animals before. We've actually had lots of fights here on the Birdie Bunch podcast about these two species in particular. And that's right. I'm going to be digging up the old bats versus bird argument. However, I'm, I'm here not to encourage fighting, but I'm more here to extend a remedy to this argument. Both bats and birds are not so different as we might think, but they're actually the perfect example of convergent evolution. Both bats and birds don't possess any common ancestors. However, they have both evolved to have the ability to fly and to have wings based off of what they needed from an ecological standpoint. So while they might have very different traits and they might they might come from different parts of the world they do have one similarity and that's they have wings and they can fly and they have no common ancestors to do so so how cool is that they have they have similarities no no reasons to fight
1: I just want to point out you keep saying it's my favorite topic and I absolutely hate convergent evolution I hate it so much.
0: Lies, they lie to you. I hate it so
1: much. I hate it so much.
0: But can you explain why? Because, like, I could understand hating divergent evolution because they're that's they're the same animal. Whatever.
1: It's no, they're fine. no. That's fine. That's fine. If they're just like the same, that's fine.
0: But they're being classified as different species. Right. How is that fine?
1: You know why I think that's fine? Because they're doing their own thing. They're doing their own thing.
0: But they're not. They're literally the exact same animal. Clearly
1: they're not because they're classified as different things, Brittany. Hmm. But they're classified as different. Hmm. Science, science, oh, I no. disagree with you there, Brittany. No.
0: No! no! Ha!
1: Huh. Oh, wow. Um. But no, I hate conversion evolution because... would well, just do your own thing. Be they an individual. They do, though. They have, an individual. They
0: have a... Su- su- Then how do you not hate divergent evolution? They're not doing their own thing. They're literally yeah, they are. They're their own
1: species. No,
0: because people are stupid. Yeah, not because the animals animal's are different. I'm sorry, but a bat and bird are very different.
1: Yeah, they just have have a really really cool
0: similar.
1: Only one thing can fly, and it's birds. I don't care about bugs. I don't care about bats. Birds are the only things that can fly
0: absolutely not Bugs?
1: no i refuse
0: i'm sorry but a government drone should not be allowed mm,
1: no, that's the only bugs thing came from first <laughs> i don't care
2: <laughs> all right so we're going from the air to the ocean there's a lot of things that hang out in the deep sea there's some very deep seas out there they're full of a lot of water for a lot of things to go in and Convergent evolution is one of those things that have happened to arise in the oceans. Now, there's a lot of fish out there. Some people's least favorite fish are the sharks. Sharks are a very diverse group of very admittedly ancestral fish. They are cartilaginous fish, and sharks reach back a real, real long time in the geologic record. Want to know something that doesn't reach back nearly as far in the geological record? Mammals. Now you may be wondering, what is is the convergence between a mammal and a shark? Is this a, a human playing the role of Bruce in the movie Jaws? Which, by the way, was a robot, not a human. So no, it was not that. But there are some of our mammalian counterparts within the oceans, these being the cetaceans, the whales and dolphins, and dolphins and sharks provide a great example of convergent evolution. Now, mammals are a lot different than fish. Most fish lay eggs, all right? There's there's a couple different sharks that do produce live young, but at the same time, essentially what happens is the egg hatches within the shark and then the baby swims out. Completely different than mammalian live birth, where there is a placenta, you know, all that fun stuff, right? Mammals, live young. Fish, very different. However, one thing that is not different is the body form of these two creatures, especially those predatory sharks. So those predatory sharks are very... For speed, I'm going to specifically point to the Mako shark are very streamlined in body. They have a dorsal fin right at the top and their pectoral fins splay out really nicely as opposed to some fish where they have pectoral fins on like the side of their body or something like that. And this is allows them a lot of balance and control within the water column. And that streamlined nature with a really powerful tail provides them a really, really good way to accelerate upon things that they are about to consume. That is the body form of the Mako shark, which also happens to be exemplified with the dolphin. While being a little bit different, because the flukes of a dolphin are, you know, the dolphin pushes through the water column, its tail moving up and down, the Mako shark's left to right. But these mechanisms have evolved completely independently of each other for them to exist in the same exact region. Dolphins and mako sharks and other sharks pop up right alongside each other. In fact, they are so intimately tied with each other, being carnivores within the ocean. Some dolphins also express a really similar method of camouflage to a lot of these very large predatory sharks. And it's a method known as countershading. Countershading, which can be found. I'll specifically point to the bottlenose dolphin to the the best example in the dolphins that I can think of and mako sharks and great white sharks and a lot of those pelagic sharks that hang around in the open ocean employ. What they all are and they all have in common is this dark top of the body, gray, sometimes navy blue. Like I said, the bottlenose dolphin and the great white shark, both of these pretty rich gray tones on top with a bright white or lighter underbelly. This is a camouflage known as countershading. And essentially what it does is depending on where you are in relation to the creature in the water column, camouflages it. So if you're looking up towards a shark swimming over you, you're under it, you see the sun shining through. There's light shining through. And that cream, that white underbelly disguises it. It blends in with that light shining through the top of the water column. If you're above it, you see the darkness going down, and that darker tone blends it in equally so. Being that they're both camouflage not camouflage predators, but, you know, they rely on stealth for the most part. They don't want to be seen from way, way, way away. Sharks and dolphins employ the same method of camouflage arisen completely differently, as well as same body types is um to exist in an aquatic landscape because of that they are one of my favorite examples of convergent evolution
1: you want to know why i think convergent evolution is stupid even more so it's because not only are sharks and dolphins examples of convergent evolution but there are even more things that convergently evolved to basically do the exact same thing with uh, you know filling that same one ecological role, and two, the exact same body shape as sharks and dolphins. Both birds and reptiles, as well as fish and mammals, fill that exact same body shape in terms of searching the ocean for food. As far as birds go, most of us have heard of penguins before. Penguins have the exact same thing where they have that that, uh, pointed um, front of their face, thicker body, and flat wings to act as flippers that help them move through the water in the same way that dolphins and sharks do, maybe without that dorsal fin or tail. But a species that pretty much does it the exact same way is a species of reptile. Granted, an extinct species of reptile, but a species of reptile nonetheless. I'm talking about the ichthyosaurus or ichthyosaur. And basically, it is literally, I don't know, it looks like a dolphin combined with a shark that is actually a giant lizard. Um, when people think of aquatic lizards or aquatic reptiles, they normally think of things like the mosasaur. Um, and that's kind of related to the ich- ichthyosaurus. Um, ichthyosaur is actually Greek for fish lizard and there were large marine reptiles that lived alongside the dinosaurs during most of the Mesozoic era. They are a classic case of convergent evolution. From their body shapes to their fish-snatching lifestyles, they have pioneered a way of life in the seas that would much later be replicated by dolphins. And now, in an in-depth study of ichthyosaur fossils, new points of similarity have been added between the marine reptiles of the past and cetaceans of our modern seas including a fatty insulating layer of tissue called blubber. That's right, reptiles with blubber. It is unbelievable. So published in uh, Nature, which is a nature magazine, basically, there's a new study by the North Carolina State uh, University with uh, biologist Mary schwitzer and colleagues focusing on a special fossil known to experts as MH432. It is an exceptional specimen of ichthyosaur, and it's from roughly 1.78 million years ago. When they did an in-depth examination of this fossil, what they found (laughs) was a wealth of information from signs of their skin's shading, which resembles that of dolphins and sharks, as well as that they were warm-blooded swimmers. (laughs) Which eventually led to the exact same conclusion that they have blubber like whales and dolphins do. So, they basically worked through the preserved soft tissue layers of the fossil and they found evidence of that fatty layer beneath their skin. So many marine mammals, leatherback sea turtles and penguins all have similar deposits. And it's wild that a reptile, given an ancient one, is so similar to modern day dolphins just like
0: sharks. And that's why convergent evolution is stupid. I feel like it's blasphemy. I well, I think it's just going to be the two rocks we both die on is going to be convergent evolution cuz divergent evolution I understand you hating. I would 100% I, I don't understand. hate divergent evolution. I understand that. But it would make more sense if it did than convergent no. evolution and it's just going to be the hills that we both die on. It's no, fine. It's fine. I'll miss you friend. <laughs>
1: Wow, it's pretty brutal. Okay. Well, well, well.
2: We spent a lot of time in the air and we spent a lot of time in the ocean. And I'm kind of surprised by that because we haven't even touched land yet. So I'm going to take us there. We are going to Western United States. And Africa. But we're starting out in the Western United States with a species known as the pronghorn. The pronghorn is the only a species in its genus it is that interesting of a creature it is a bovine it is a hoofed animal and essentially they've been related to like deer right they hang out on the western plains they're really fast they can run up to about 55 miles an hour and they got these weird looking horns that are not necessarily antlers and are not necessarily horns which is why they're called prong horns, and that's the type of horn they're called it's called a pronghorn So the creature that has the pronghorns is thus called the pronghorn. But what's really, really cool about these herding, grazing animals out in the western United States is that some people also call them the pronghorn antelope. And that is exactly their convergence, the antelopes in the old world. Now, pronghorns are very similar in body shape as well as speed to the antelopes like the gazelle that we see on the African savannah, even though they have completely, completely different life histories. In fact, studies show that the pronghorn's closest living relative is actually the giraffe. And so the reason that we see this really similar speed and body shape coming from these two different, different groups is because of the presence of really really fast predators that has created something known as the evolutionary arms race. The quintessential the quintessential example of the evolutionary arms race is the cheetah and the gazelle. The cheetah, as you probably are aware, is the fastest land animal on the, well, planet. And the gazelle constantly is pushing it to its limits. Gazelles oftentimes will outrun cheetahs, so cheetahs evolve to outrun gazelles for prey purposes and it just keeps compounding creating two species that are so intimately locked that their evolution is almost exclusively driven by each other and this is actually a phenomenon that was replicated in the united states during the kind of ice age era the era of the charismatic megafaunal mammals before humans came in and kind of knocked all them out There used to be a species known as the american cheetah which was not the same or even really super closely related to the cheetah that you see in the great plains however it served the same role in the united states now north american ecosystems that the cheetah in the savannah did and the pronghorn served the same role in what is now North America and what is now the United States as those gazelles do in the savannah. So what you're seeing now is the pronghorn is the leftover of the United States evolutionary arm race that is the same one that we saw in Africa, however we've lost one of the pieces. Pronghorn's a really cool species, you should look him up if you haven't heard of him, but the evolution and the knockout of one of the cogs in the machine is a really interesting one to look at when we talk about convergence.
1: I still can't believe we're doing a whole episode about convergent evolution because it's so stupid. Um, I hate it so much. And this is the exact example that made me hate convergent evolution. This is the example I'm going to give you right now. So I'm going to describe a species, and I want my fellow co-hosts to guess what animal I'm talking about. This snake is a constrictor. It's green with white stripes. It lives in the (laughs) trees. What snake am I talking about?
0: An emerald tree boa.
1: Nope, sorry.
2: (laughs) Green tree python.
1: Nope, not that one either, because it could be either one, because they're the exact same snake. No, they're not. You cannot convince me that those two are not just They're the exact same. Well, they're see, one's a python same. and one's a boa. Yeah, that's the only difference. They're the same snake. That's why that's it's so a pretty big dumb. difference. <laughs> Evolution is so stupid. They look the same. They have the exact same behaviors, the exact same diet, except if one is in Australia and one is in South America. There is no difference. They're the exact same. I hate them so much. Like, genuinely, some of my favorite species on the planet. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. But I hate them. Not only do the adults look the same, the babies also look the same. They have the exact same growth behaviors. So when these snakes are born, they're born a reddish color or a yellowish color. And as they grow, they become yellow, they become green, and then they become that vibrant green as adults. Both species do that. Both green tree pythons and emerald tree boas. It's so stupid. I hate them. They're the worst. This is convergent evolution at its peak. So dumb.
0: But... If they don't have a common ancestor, then they're different.
1: That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. They are different, but they're the same for no reason. They're but, the same, but, but they're, they're different. different. That's why I hate them. But they're different. That's what that. But they're different because, but they're not. You know I mean? But like, they are. Like technically, technically, but also the worst. <laughs> Do your own thing. Get a different color. Just be blue. Be red. I don't care. Pick a different color. Do your own shtick. But schtick. that would be
0: like, yeah, like I don't know, like Do your I don't own shtick. No. two two humans having red hair, like no,
1: that's not the same thing. Know? That's not the same thing. But then no, it no, wouldn't. No, 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 no. if there was a reptile human time. that looked exactly like humans, <laughs> for example, some people in Congress, that would be conversion evolution.
0: You don't know that those aren't reti- reptilian people. Come on, no, now. you're right.
1: That's why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but. I'm just going to put forth,
2: if it was red, it wouldn't be a green tree
1: python. That's exactly what I'm saying. You are understanding my point to a T, Matthew.
2: But then it's not a green tree python. That's
1: precisely what I'm saying, yes.
2: So, that's the problem, because it's a green tree python.
1: But there's no red tree python.
2: Because it's green.
1: Oh my god, I
2: gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get what you're not getting here.
0: CJ and I were talking earlier and we were fighting about this. I'm like not on recording. And I was like, I really can't wait for tonight's recording. (laughs) Because Matt's right. They're, they're, they're.
1: Yeah, no, you're a thousand percent correct. They are different. Like one is a boa constrictor. One is a python. A thousand percent. I'm on board. Like one gives live birth. One lays Mm -hmm. eggs. Absolutely. One is ovoviviparous, one is oviparous. Absolutely. We're on the same page. One that's, is green. That's just a fancy way to say that one lays gives life birth, one lays eggs. That's mm-hmm. all it that is. Um, but I don't care because they look the exact same. If you showed me two like a, 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 two tanks, two two enclosures with one of them in each, could not tell you the difference. That's you why know what I you... could, but I don't want to because I hate them.
2: You know what you could tell us? That they're not red. And instead, they are green.
1: Shut up.
0: <laughs> did you know that they are, in fact, both green?
2: And see, the problem I did. Here. That's
1: part of the problem, yes.
2: Do you know why they're not red?
1: Because they're green and emerald. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. I got it. Thank you.
0: And so, if we're talking about that, if you even if we just want to talk about the fact that they're green, you just called one emerald, which is a shade of green. So it's more. I'm gonna
1: spe- leave this call.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna leave this
1: call. I'm gonna leave just this call.
0: Green. I'm gonna leave. So really, they're not the same at all. <laughs> and they're gone, folks. <laughs> okay. And now that we have a convergent evolution enthusiast gone. Um, We are going to head on over to some more mammals that are some tree dwellers. So these semi-flying animals, flying squirrels and sugar gliders, while both are nocturnal with large eyes who dwell in trees with stretchy with a stretchy skin membrane between their back hind legs and their front ones, these two mammals don't have any ancestral relatives. Flying squirrels are actually more closely related to primates like gorillas, like humans, whereas sugar gliders are actually marsupials. So because both species faced similar ecological criteria that where they needed to evolve to have similar traits to be able to glide from tree to tree making them quote unquote flying they are in fact very different because they don't share any ancestral relatives so we go from sea to to air to land all all around there are lots of different animals who are all deserving of being Wonderful and not stupid, as CJ might have suggested, um, but they're just—they're different and they're cool and they're convergent evolution. So with with uh, I think we've talked, we've tortured CJ enough for one night. So um, with that, we're gonna head on out. Where can everybody find you on the social meads?
1: I've come back just to pluck my social media, and then I'm leaving again. <laughs> you can find me on the social media at cj.greco, that's cj.greco, and I'm going to post a picture of either a green tree python or an emerald tree boa, and you have to guess, because you'll never know, because they're the same.
2: Well, you can find me on the social medias at Matt Valiga on Instagram, that is M-A-T-T-V is in Victor, A-L-I-G-A. And luckily, one thing that you will be able to know, dear listeners, is that the snake that you will be looking at on CJ's Instagram will, in fact, be the color green. So take solace that.
1: It actually might not be. Don't do that. It might be red or yellow. Don't do that. Don't do that. It actually might be red or yellow because it's going to be a baby. Don't do that. It's going to be a baby, so it might be red or yellow.
2: That's a thing not to do. Mm, well, is, did it. I'm kind of here things, for the chaos, actually. I just did it, so... Things you, first of all, you did not just do this. This episode has been recorded
0: weeks in
1: advance. Well, that's true. It, I mean, okay. So, spoiler alert, listeners. This is on this is the DL. Just for our favorite listeners. So, if you're hearing this right now, you are our favorite listener. We're recording this about 36 hours before we release it. That's just a little teaser for you. So. (laughs) Huh? That's a lie. I lied to you. I lied to you, our favorite listener. I think you meant 36 days. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's closer to like 25 days. But regardless, Brittany, where can you be found on the social meds?
0: You can find me on the social meds on Instagram at the Brittany underscore bunch. B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore B is in Brichter U-N-C-H
2: You earned it back for one week and it's already being taken away again. I don't know what you thought was going to happen.
0: <laughs> I just...
1: Let me just say my mind Instagram again. I don't know if I officially said it, so it's CJ. Just uh, remember
2: before you say it, it's not a right, it's a privilege. <laughs> just remember that that's CJ.
1: Dot G isn't correct there. I don't see and now it's gone.
0: <laughs> but this is the thing: if you're just gonna punish us every single time for doing it, we can just pick up the torch. Um,
1: All right, go ahead, but you're I, never I getting for change me. Change my handle back to Matt Valiga. This, can we both change happen.
0: it
2: that was a mess that was a mess and will not happen so far, again
1: thanks Brittany if you do change it you have to wait two weeks for changing it again
0: I'll not be doing that
1: then <laughs> it's, it's good be, joke just, though I'll, it's
0: a great joke this even this would be a really
1: funny bit if I change my Instagram to Matt Malaga and then I did and then I was stuck for a couple weeks <laughs>
0: Well if you're gonna if you're gonna do something, own it, I guess. Guess that's that lesson.
1: (laughs) And if you're gonna do something else, where can you find us all collectively?
0: (laughs) So if you wanna find us collectively on Instagram, you're gonna be able to find us at the Birdie Bunch podcast. Um you can also check us out on our website. At www.theprettybunchpodcast.com, there you're going to be able to find our merch store. We've got some awesome, awesome merch out. Also, we have our Patreon linked there. If you, uh, if you want to become one of our Patreon patrons, you get some pretty awesome, um, some pretty awesome deals that go along with that. One of them being is that we will give you a shout-out here on the podcast, so shout-out to our Patreon, Gabe Andre. We really appreciate you. You rock. Um, so thank you so much for supporting us. Um, it's always great getting to chat with you when, when we see you. You can also, depending on the level that you choose, you could also get some pretty fun behind-the-scenes looks at um, some unedited of videos of our of our recordings they are a mess and they're fun um, so just keep that in mind but if you can't if you can't support us financially what you can do is a couple of things you can leave us a review on um, on your listening platforms and if you rate us five stars we will read your review out on the podcast we um, don't have any new, new um reviews today but we will read them out if they're five stars um but if they're not five stars and you want to give us feedback as well we always appreciate it we want to create great content for you guys and to be able to create content content you guys want to hear you can also uh just refer refer us to a friend if you like what you're hearing you think we're funny we think you think we're idiots but some other people should hear how how that goes go ahead and share 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 with a friend tell everyone you know uh tell grandma or the weirdo on the train station i don't know it's me i'm
1: the weirdo at the train station
0: (laughs) it's just always gonna be cj so yeah and i think with that we will catch you later folks
1: catch you next time
0: and with that catch you next time
2: Next time, I will be catching you.
1: For the next time, we will catch you next time.
2: And you know what you, dear listeners, will be catching?
0: <laughs>
1: the next time. These hands, <laughs> bitch. I was really hoping that I could keep that in because that was very funny, but I don't think that I will. <laughs> uh.
2: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast.
1: We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos, Elliot High for being our writing and production assistant, and Connor Whitman for being our music producer.
0: The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.